You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Thank you so much for that. Let's take our Bibles this morning. And uh, before we get to where we're going to go, that song reminds me of Brother Cole, doesn't it? And uh, Brother Cole is no longer here with us. He's with Jesus and uh, meeting the one that Mary got to hold. So, um, you know, that's, uh, if you did not know about that, I'm sorry to break that news to you today. But, uh, but uh, we certainly miss Brother Cole, good man. And uh, we have his service coming up January 14th. will be a, a celebration of life here at our church for him. <clears throat> we'll give you more info as that's coming along. I do have an announcement for you, and that's for our ushers, actually. Ushers, there is an usher training meeting on the 17th, December 17th, Saturday, at 11.30 a.m. here at the church, so please make sure to be there for that, ushers, if you would. And I want to preach a a series uh, just over the next couple weeks here in December, and every year I do something Christmas-themed or related, because obviously for the time of year, and it's a very important time for us as Christians, but uh, I think sometimes we get we get very narrow in our thinking in regards to Christmas. And we think about Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and we think about Luke chapter 1 and 2, and that's about it. We don't really consider anything else beyond that. But I want to preach a a series entitled Christmas Through the Bible. Christmas Through the Bible. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, And I have, there's a a graphic for that that's going to be up here eventually here, but Christmas through the Bible is what we're going to be looking at. And the first message that I want to speak about is Christmas in Genesis. I want you to take your Bible to Genesis chapter 3 today. Genesis chapter 3, if you would. We're going to look there for a little bit, and I'm looking forward to tonight to the uh, Christmas Spirit Sunday evenings, and uh, we'll have a good time with that. I've got my Christmas socks on, if you did not notice. They are red with uh, white and green Christmas trees on them. I couldn't remember, I had to look. But, uh, but uh, if you have any Christmas attire, someone said, well, what happens if we, uh, we have our teen Christmas party this week and uh, this Saturday? And, it's, and I said, we're going to give a prize out to the best dressed person. And someone said, what happens if I come dressed as Santa? I said, well, you win automatically. So if you want to come tonight and dress like an elf or something or Santa, you win automatically, all right? So... Say, where do I win? I don't know. Chapter 3 of Genesis, all right? We're going to look there. And we're looking at Christmas in Genesis. We're going to see here the the seed promise. What are you talking about with the seed? So we're going to look at that and and, and see here what this is talking about. See, Christmas is the celebration of, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) Messiah's birth. That's what we're celebrating, that Jesus, Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, came to this earth uh, to, uh, to ransom sinners. That's what every song we're singing about is. That's what every, uh, and, and not just in Christmas, we sing those songs all year long, but, but that story of Jesus coming to earth to die for our sins, that story doesn't start in Matthew. That story starts at the beginning of time. And we're going to see it this month throughout Scripture. So this first week, we're going to be looking at Christmas in Genesis and see how the seed was promised, the seed of Mary that was promised, the Messiah would come. Now the Bible does say, that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What that means is that God had a plan even before the world began that Jesus would come and pay for our sins. 
I, it, it, he, he knew what would happen, and so he had already said it, that that would be how he would ransom sinners. And we can see the beginnings of that plan, not just in Matthew, but we can see the very beginning. In fact, the first prophecy of Jesus Christ coming is in Genesis chapter 3. And so we're going to read some scripture this morning and look at this and talk about the seed promise. But let's pray before we jump into Genesis here. Father, I do pray for your help this morning. I pray that as we've all come to church today, and, and maybe for different reasons, but Lord, I, I pray that as we're here this morning, that, that we would now focus in on the Word of God, and that we would listen for the Holy Spirit of God to impress upon our hearts what we need to do, how we need to think, what we need to leave here uh, considering and making decisions about. So strengthen us today through your Word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter number 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, the woman is Eve. The serpent is being used by the devil, possessed, whatever you want to call it, by the devil here. Yea, and so here's what the devil says to the woman who is Eve. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Did God really say, Eve, that you can't eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Because, of course, the devil knows better than God, right? No, I don't think so. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Now, that's the, now there is some truth to what he's saying here, but it's half truth. And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I want to look at four things here in this story, and then apply it to us as we go through, as we see this promise of Christmas throughout Scripture here, starting in the book of Genesis. The first thing I want you to notice is the serpent. <clears throat> the serpent. The serpent, of course, here is the devil and, uh, and, and using this animal in that way. And he, what he's doing here, it says now, verse 1, now the serpent was more subtle. He, he is, he's trying to make Eve question what God had set, God's perfect plan. He did not want Eve to continue living in paradise in that way. He was trying to get at God and hurt him. Now, the Bible does say that the, the, the devil, of course, we know is our enemy, but he is also a murderer right from the beginning. He's God's enemy. He is our enemy. But notice the description the Bible gives about the devil. It says here, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Now, I'm not a fan of snakes, I'm afraid to ask this because I want to respect you. But how many of you, you like snakes? Like, that's your thing. You like snakes. Virginia, really? Okay. Why is all the ladies raising their hands? Okay. I, I, did, I saw that coming, Brian. I saw that coming. All right. That tracks. Okay. So just a couple of you. How many of you like me? The only good snake is a dead snake. How many of you feel that way? Amen to that. I remember when I was in Arkansas growing up, there were snakes in a lot of places, like everywhere, you know, it's just snakes in Arkansas, and the snakes and mosquitoes, wonderful place. Anyway, but uh, no, I, I know it's better than that, 
But uh, I remember my dad would see a snake in the road, and we'd be driving down on the gravel road, and he'd get his tires right on top of it, and then back up and go over the snake, and then back up and go over the snake, and then back up. And I think we got him. I think we're good. All right, let's go. You know, and he's just roadkill. But uh, sorry for all you snake lovers, but that was the best thing. We had cotton mouth and, and copperheads and a lot of poisonous snakes there. How did I get off on that? I have no idea where that was coming from, but, uh, but we're talking about snakes. Snakes here are not my favorite animal, okay? Snakes usually cause fear to people, but they're also sneaky. They're also pretty slick. They are beautiful, beautiful creatures. They really are. We've been to many zoos. We've been to San Diego Zoo, been to Brookfield in Chicago, been to a lot of zoos. They're beautiful animals. Do I want to hold one? No, but they're beautiful. We took our kids and some of the guys to a, a reptile show in Orange County about a, a year ago. And uh, they had a big, like, white anaconda there. And uh, I, got to, I got to touch it. <laughs> want to hold it? No, I wanna, uh, but I'll touch it. And, man, it was thick and strong and all that. But they're, they're beautiful. But, but it's saying here, it's not just the serpent that's kind of sneaky. It's the devil. Okay? What does subtle mean? Uh, it means he's a deceitful enemy. That's what it means. I better answer that. Goodness. Uh, it's a, he's a deceitful enemy. Subtle means shrewd. Subtle means crafty. It means cunning. It means clever. It means specifically in return to the devil, it means pertaining to being tricky and cunning with a focus on evil treachery. You're not, so you're not just smart. It's not just you're good at chess, okay? It's that you, are, it, it's an evil thing. It's, it's something that leads you to be tricky, like a comment, to do something treacherous or evil. So what's it saying? It's saying that you and I have an enemy that's deceitful. He lies. It bothers me so much having you know, worked with teenagers for so long to see that they buy into those lies. To see they buy into the lies of the world and everything being given. And we as adults do it too. Now the devil, you'll notice that he's sneaky. He didn't just come right up and say, hey Eve, uh, you need to eat that fruit so that, God can, so that you can die spiritually. And so that you'll be kicked out of the garden because that's what I really want, to plunge the world into sin. Do that for me, would you? No, he's slick. He's sneaky. He's conniving. That's not what he does. He, made him, he makes them think that, hey, it's, it's your idea. You know, you came up with this. Now, the deceit still continues today. He's still a deceitful enemy. So many people don't even know why we're truly celebrating Christmas. He's still deceitful. But a deceitful enemy is also a dangerous enemy. He's a dangerous enemy. Look at verse 4. He says here, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He's going to contradict God. That's always dangerous. It's always dangerous to change God's words. It's always dangerous for you and I to believe in something, and anything or anybody that changes God's words. That's a very dangerous thing. And the Bible says in John chapter 8, 44, that the devil is a murderer from the beginning because that's what he does here with Adam and Eve. He doesn't physically murder them, but spiritually that's what happens here. And he does actually kind of physically murder them because they would not have died until he calls this tempt temptation to sin, and now there's going to be a physical death. And so, yes, he is a murderer, and he's still dangerous today, and he still kills people. He still kills people through alcohol, through sin, through uh, addiction, through all these different ways. He still kills people today. He is deceitful, and, he, uh, and he's still destroying lives. I read a story about a boxer in 1896 by the name of Norman Kid McCoy. Kid was his nickname, Kid McCoy. He was the welterweight boxing champion. And, uh, and I, I, I've never heard of him before, but reading this story, in the middle of his fight, 
He was the world champion, 1896. In the middle of his fight, he learned that the man that he was fighting was deaf. This boxer was deaf. He learned that while he was fighting him like, through some kind of thing, maybe his, his corner told him or whatever. <clears throat> and so at the end of the third round, they're boxing, they're boxing, and he takes a step back and points to the corner. The bell hadn't rung. And the other guy who was deaf didn't know that. But Kid McCoy stepped back and pointed to the corner. And so the guy turned to go back to his corner, and Kid McCoy knocked him out. Now, that's not very fair. It's kind of dirty. It was effective, but it wasn't fair. You know what? The devil doesn't fight fair. He comes after kids. He comes after everybody. I mean, he, and he will use anything. <clears throat> he will use people against you. He will use family against you. He will come after you no matter what. He doesn't fight fair. He doesn't care how you fall as long as you fall. So we have, first of all, here we see the serpent. Can I say, secondly, we see the scheme. I'm going to call it the scheme or the strategy or the plan, but the scheme here. Look at verses 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now she's looking at it differently. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Well, you know what? It does look good. I know God said not to do it, but now that I'm looking at it, why are you looking at it? God said, don't eat it. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, hey, if I eat this, I'm going to gain something from it. Doesn't sin always say that? If you do this, you'll gain something from it. And she said, and so she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And by the way, we don't know that it was an apple. Everyone's like, it was an apple. Apples are delicious. I don't think it was an apple. It never says that. The first time the word apple appears in the Bible is in Proverbs. So I don't, I don't think that's what it was. But, but she took whatever this fruit was <clears throat> and did eat and then gave unto her husband and men eat anything. So here it is. I don't think that's the reason why he ate. And he did eat and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. The devil had a plan. The devil had a strategy. His strategy was simple. Lie. You know why? Because they'd never heard one before. Because the only person they had talked to is God and each other. And God didn't lie. And so they'd never heard these type of things before, but his strategy worked. What's his plan now? He's going to lie. He's going to lie to you. He's going to lie to me. He's going to lie uh, during this time of year and, 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 and change it from Christmas to Xmas or whatever. He's going to lie and say, hey, it's just about time with your family. He's going he's to consistently lie about everything. That's his strategy is to hurt God. And by hurting, he wants to hurt God by hurting God's creation. He tempted Eve to sin and caused the death, the spiritual death of the human race. What's his plan now? I'll tell you what his plan now is. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, his plan is to keep you that way. His plan is to keep you lost. If you do know Christ as your Savior, his plan is to keep you away from God. That's his plan. If you don't know Christ as Savior, he's going to do everything he can to keep you, away, keep you lost and away from God. And if you do know Christ as your Savior, he's going to do his best to keep you away from God. That's, it's all the same plan all over and over again. But notice the consequences. The consequences are, are, are quite detrimental. The first one there is spiritual death. Spiritual death. There was, Adam and Eve had a connection with God. And that connection, in, in many ways, was disconnected when they sinned against God. It was severed. I don't know if you've ever been on a phone call before, and all of a sudden you're talking and you're communicating, and then you hear boop, 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 and you look, and it says, you know, the call was terminated or disconnected or something. There was communication, but all of a sudden it stopped. 
And in a certain way, with Adam and Eve and God, there, there was a type of communion. Yes, they still talked to God, but there was a different communion with God that they had that stopped once that spiritual, once that uh, sin happened, that spiritual death took place, their relationship changed. So there's not only spiritual death, though, but look at chapter uh, 3 again, verse 7, talks about uh, all of a sudden now, there's not only spiritual death that comes in, but there's condemnation and shame. Verse 7, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves able. So now all of a sudden they're, they're, they're self-conscious, they're noticing things, they're trying to cover up. When before, they, there was none of that because there was no sin there. There's nothing uh, uh, inappropriate about anything happening there. But now because of their sin, now sin has a price, has a penalty. It has to be paid for and now there's a punishment. Now if you're saved today and you know Jesus Christ your Savior, sin is not going to bring you spiritual death anymore because you know Christ is your Savior. And, and by the way, if you know Christ, there's no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus. But it does hurt your walk with God. That's what sin does now. It hurts your walk with God. It changes your relationship. He's still your father, absolutely. But there is a closeness that you lose when you live in sin. There is a closeness that you lose, you, that you lose when you can't walk with God because you're choosing your sin over God. And by the way, that's a heavy consequence. It's a heavy price to have to pay because we choose something that God hates. It's still his plan to keep the lost lost, and it's still his plan to keep saved people away from God. And I want to ask you this morning, is his plan working in your life? Is the devil's plan, the servant, is his plan working in your life? Is his scheme and his strategy to keep you away from God, is it working? Is he keeping you away from God? Now, he'll use anything. He'll use good things to keep you away from God, church. Uh, he'll, he'll use, he'll, he'll use uh, uh, your job. Is your job bad? Probably not, unless you're selling drugs in Long Beach or something, which many of our people do, and I'm not against you. No, I'm kidding. But uh, you, you know, uh, what I'm saying is he, he will use that. Now you've got to work Sundays. Now you've got to get that overtime. He'll use, any, he'll use anything to keep you away from God. You got to wake up late. You know, you got to got to get to the gym at six instead of reading, reading your Bible. Because whatever it may be, he'll use anything, even good things, to keep you away from God. And the question is, is it working? Is it working in your life? If you're here, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is the devil's plan working on you? And you and you're not coming to Christ, and you're not accepting him as your Savior for whatever reason. He's winning. He's winning, and he shouldn't win. So that's the bad news. I said, first of all, we see the serpent here. That's our enemy. We see the scheme. We see his plan. But can I show you the Savior in this passage? This is the good part. These next two are good, all right? Chapter number 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. It always makes me laugh. They're going to hide from an om omniscient, all-seeing God. By the way, that was a voice that naturally, normally would have brought them great joy. But now that they've sinned, it doesn't bring joy. Many people come to church today and you're happy to hear the word of God. But those of you that are involved in things you should not be, sometimes it doesn't sound good to you. You want to run and hide. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? As if he didn't know. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Sin causes fear and shame. And he said, who told thee thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, my wife's fault. 
The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So here we see, though, we, we see God coming and talking and, and, and confronting Adam and Eve lovingly about their sin. But here's what I love about this. You see, the devil had a plan. He had a scheme. But God had a plan, too. Now look, if you would, these next two verses. God is just about to level the curse upon mankind. He is about to tell Eve what the punishment to women will be. And by the way, women, you can thank Eve for your punishment, okay? If you as you read it there, all right? And then he's going to tell Adam, guys, we can thank Adam for, for what he did here. And uh, you can see the punishment that, that Adam is about to get. We can see that the, the, even the ground is going to be cursed. And now the earth is suffering because of it. And now the earth is groaning to be remade by God because, because of the sin. And now there's, there's going to be hurricanes and tornadoes and, and tsunamis and all of this sort of thing happening because of sin, but before God levels the curse and before God dishes out the punishment, he gives a promise. And I love this. Look at chapter 3, verse 13, 14 and 15. The Lord God said unto the serpent, now he does talk to the serpent first, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. Above every beast of the field, upon thy belly thou shalt go, and, the, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And then he says this, here it is, here is the first prophecy of the Messiah in Scripture. And I will put enmity between thee, that's the serpent, the devil, and the woman. What woman? Is it Eve? No, let's, let's look at it. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What is this talking about here? First of all, let's just look, break this down. I will put enmity. Enmity is hostility or hatred between thy seed and her seed, okay? So we're seeing here the devil and Eve probably being mentioned in the immediate context there, and the two different races, if you would, uh, at that time, not races like we would think, but, but the devil, the wicked, and the godly. And he's saying there's going to always be hostility there. There's going to always be warfare between the wicked and the holy. There's going to always be warfare between the righteous and the unrighteous, between, between the, the forces of good and the forces of evil. There's always going to be that. But then it says this, that uh, between thy seed and her seed, it, the seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's, more, there's a prophecy here. They, they've just sinned, and, and they're about to be punished for their sin, and God gives them this prophecy that there would be a Savior that pays for it. Now, I'll explain this in just a second, but I saw a picture as I was studying for this. I saw a picture online. I don't know how I came across it. And it was a picture of Eve being comforted by a woman. And the woman that was comforting Eve was Mary with a baby in her womb. And Mary was comforting Eve because of her sin, saying that, hey, her seed, Jesus, was going to take care of that problem that Eve caused. I thought it was a beautiful picture. It shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman is going to step on the serpent's head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. As the seed is getting victory, there would be a cost. What is this talking about? This is talking about Jesus Christ. is going to crush the head of the serpent. 
But as doing so, there's going to be a cost to Jesus. What's that cost going to be? He's going to die on the cross for our sins. But it's not going to be a mortal blow because up from the grave he arose three days later. So that's the prophecy here. And he would die on the cross and it would look real bad for three days. But the serpent's head is crushed and Jesus gets victory. This is the first prophecy of Jesus Christ. I have not seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I've not seen it. I don't, I, and I'm, I'm, if you've seen it, I'm not against you. But for me personally, I don't, I don't want an image of what Jesus looked like or whatever, what people think he looked like. In my, I, just, I just haven't watched it. But I do know that I saw a scene from it online a while back. And the scene was, and, and I, I may get it wrong because, again, I haven't seen the whole movie, but the scene was of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and, as he's, and if you know the scripture, by the way, that's where we get our church name from, Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus prayed before he was crucified. And, uh, and as he's kneeling in prayer, of course, praying and with sweat drops of blood, he's praying so hard that burst capillaries in his head. It's called hematidrosis. And, uh, he, and all of that's happening. And, and he, he, at that time, I guess in the movie, someone representing the devil is watching him as he's praying in the garden. And then a snake comes out from where the devil is, and a snake comes over to where Jesus is praying. And Jesus, in, in, the, in the movie, the person playing Jesus, I should say, stands up after having prayed and looks at the serpent and steps on the head and crushes it. And I got a little bit of chill bumps when I saw that, to be honest with you, because that's maybe not literally what happens, but symbolically that is what happens when Jesus is crushing the power of the devil and crushing the scheme and the plan of the devil. That's because we have a Savior, folks. That's because we have a Savior. That was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth, to crush the plans and schemes of the devil, and eventually to cast him into the lake of fire. That's the purpose. Why did the baby come 2,000 years ago? To crush the head, to set man free, to ransom sinners. God, thanks be to God that he gave us the Savior. But there's one more thing I want you to see here. It's, it's beautiful. There's the, there's the serpent, there's the scheme, there's the Savior. But, but let's notice lastly the symbol. The symbol. Look at verse number 7, if you would. We're done after this. We'll probably be done early today. Chapter, uh, we're in chapter 3, verse number 7. The Bible says this, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so what they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Aprons because of their shame. Let me just help you with this without trying to be graphic. Aprons don't cover much. Do you have an apron? I, I like to grill. I'm not great at grilling, but I like to grill. And uh, I have, is it an apron? Is that what it's called? And it's a little apron. It's got a superhero on it, but it's an apron. And I, I can't tie it behind my back for nothing. But if you think about it, just think for a moment in your brain about wearing an apron and only wearing an apron. What is covered and what is not? There's a lot left uncovered, right? And so they created aprons, but to be honest, it wasn't doing the job. It doesn't cover much. Why is that? It was the best that man could do to cover their shame. The apron was the best that man could do to cover their shame. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21. Unto Adam also 
And to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them? So Adam and Eve, they see their shame. They want to cover that shame. So they do the best they can by making aprons. But it doesn't cover. But God clothes them with coats of fur. Garments or tunics. Have you ever seen those things that cover to your shoulders and down past your knees? He gave them a covering. They were covered. What is this a picture of? It's a beautiful picture. Man's righteousness, our good works, our righteousness cannot cover our shame. Only thing, the only thing that can cover that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Only God can do that can cover that sin and shame. Notice, though, that it says coats of skins. What does that mean? That means that God took an innocent animal. An innocent animal had to die and shed its blood so that Adam and Eve could be covered. Again, what a beautiful picture, what a symbol that Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, would have to die on a cross and shed his blood so our sin could be covered. See, from the very beginning, ladies and gentlemen, God already had planned Christmas in the book of Genesis. In fact, before Genesis. But as we see it starting here, it's in Genesis. This is the Christmas story in Genesis. Our merciful God provided and promised a sacrifice for our sins even before he punished the first sinners. There might not have been a stable There might not have been no shepherds watching in the field and coming in to meet the Messiah. There wasn't even a Mary or a Joseph at this time. But there was a promise that there would be a Savior that would come to crush the head of the serpent and deliver us from our sins. And his blood, his shed blood, would cover our sin and shame. That's the promise today. That's Christmas in Genesis. So I want to just ask you as we close, here's the schemer, here's the serpent. He's still around trying to scheme you. Is he doing a good job of it? Are we letting him? He knows his time is short. Is he keeping you away from God? Is he keeping you from running to Jesus every day in prayer? Is he keeping you believing that your sin is okay? Is he, is he continually deceiving you that your sin's not affecting other people? Is he continually deceiving you that it's perfectly okay what you do and God's aware of it and God's okay with it? You know what? Let's not, let, let's not give him the satisfaction. Let's not believe the lies and the schemes of the serpent. I also want to encourage you to remember that you serve a risen Savior who's in the world today, who has crushed and will crush the head of the serpent. And once and for all in the future, we're going to see that God will take that old devil and throw him into the lake of fire forever and ever. His plan failed. There is a Savior, and he's available. And I want to encourage you to lean on his power to defeat the enemy. Lean on the power of the Savior who crushed the head of the serpent to defeat the enemy, and not on your own power. And then lastly, if you're here today and you've been trusting in your good works, you've been trusting in in your own, you going to church to get you to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness. You can't cover your own sin. You can't do enough good to cover your sin. You need Jesus Christ. You need to come before him and ask him to be your personal savior and forgive your sins. That's the only way to have your sin covered. Father, I pray that you bless us today as we look at this scripture and we see, and we'll take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment, and it's a beautiful thing. We're so thankful for that opportunity to celebrate your death on the cross and your resurrection, what it means for us. But I pray that today, God, 
If there are some people here and the serpent is, the, the devil is getting them to believe some lies, I pray that today we'd come lay it at the cross and say, no, I, I, I choose Jesus. I choose my Savior, not my sin. I pray that today we'd lean upon you for victory, not upon our own flesh. And Lord, if there be anybody here today that's not truly saved, that today would be the day they accept you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Allow me, please, to ask a question or two before we dismiss. And we're very early today, so just give me a moment here. But have me say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. God spoke to my heart today. Maybe it's about just not listening to the devil. Maybe it's about, hey, not letting him be successful in his scheme. Maybe the decision is, I want to lean on Jesus to defeat the devil. But you say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart today about a decision I need to make. Would you slip your hand up? Thank you, many hands. You can put them down. I appreciate it. I hope God spoke to you whether you raised your hand or not. Would someone here say, Pastor, pray for me? I don't know for sure. I've, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I don't know for sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that at all? I would like to pray for you if there's anybody. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anybody else at all? I appreciate it. Thank you. I will pray for you. Father, I pray you bless our folks today. Help us to be willing to make a decision today to accept you as our Savior, if that's what needs to happen, or to be victorious over the devil. Let's all stand together, please. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I invite you to come forward and bend a knee and pray. You can pray where you're at. If you'd like to come spend some time with God, we have an altar right down front you can come pray at. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come forward. We'll meet you down here and take a Bible and show you how you could know Jesus Christ once and for all. Today could be the day where your life changes and you accept Christ as your Savior. If that's you, we invite you to come today. wonder today, if you're, if you're listening too much to the devil, you're giving ear to him and you're listening to his lies and you're letting him have victory. Let's not give in to that. Let's lean upon the Savior, the one who crushes the head of the serpent. And let's not rely upon our righteousness, but upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this service today. Thank you for the word of God, the promises of scripture, the songs that we got to sing. I do pray for those today, Lord, who raised their hands saying that they made a decision today that you spoke to them about. I pray they'd keep that decision. I pray that you'd strengthen them this week, God. Help them with, with what they decided today in the Bible and in the service that, that they would keep those things and be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, I pray for those who raised their hand, not, not sure, not 100% sure they're going to heaven. But I pray that, that we'd be able to take the Bible and talk with them and, and just show them how they could know for sure. Get that thing settled. It's so important. 
I pray you bless us today. Bless our boutique, but bless, first of all, I pray you bless the Lord's Supper that we get to take in just a moment here. We do love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Before you move, before you're dismissed, I know we've got the boutique in just a little bit here, but we do have the Lord's Supper going on this morning. And uh, so that's just, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're saved and baptized, you can feel free to partake with us. You don't have to be a member here or anything. But uh, so at this time, if you are sticking around, we're going to have you have a seat. And if you are leaving, uh, you're not sticking around, you can go ahead and be dismissed. We'll give you a second to do that, and then Brother Weldon will start our service. Okay, thank you.